mostly with you. And we thank you. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. And I get to do it again. So, Joe, come up here. Let me tell you a little about Joe Verossi. When, when we first moved back to Sarasota and started the Nightlife Center, he might have been the first teenager to walk inside the place uh, when he was 16. He's not 16 anymore. He's 26. He was a part of our church at the Garden. He's a part of our church at Grace Life. He's been on staff at different times doing different things. He's been a dear friend and a brother. He's moving to Nashville. Nashville? Chattanooga. Same thing. Tennessee. Less would be mad. Yes. Chattanooga, Tennessee today after church. And uh, we've, Joe's been a part of our fellowship for uh, a decade, and he's leaving today. So I'm going to pray for you real quick. I love you, right. love and you I'm too. thankful that you've been a part of our family. Dad, I just want to lift up my brother Joe to you. Thank you so much for all that he's meant to us, how he's been a blessing with his heart, with his faithfulness and his service. Uh, thank you so much that you have clearly saved him and transformed him. And I pray, well, I know that he will be a huge blessing to those he's going to be with and wherever it is in Tennessee, he's going. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you. It's, it's bittersweet when some of our church family leaves and goes to another place, but he's taking a lot of stuff, uh, lessons learned, and he's going to have an impact there. Um, so this week, I was searching for uh, a relevant illustration, and I think I came up with one. Roll the, roll the video. Um, it occurred to me... Yeah, is that your house? <clears throat> Did you know that love bugs, while some people think that love bugs are like the plagues in Egypt, I learned they're actually a picture of surprising generosity. Bear with me. First of all, they're reliable. Every May and September, you can depend on these guys to come around, just like surprising generosity is reliable. They're overwhelming and unavoidable. Right? You know, surprising and mind-boggling, frankly. That's what surprising generosity is. And, and love bugs are overwhelming and unavoidable. And then, lastly, um, just like surprising generosity, love bugs can leave lasting results. My truck still has some lasting results from love bug season a few years ago. And so, you know, I just wanted, as we end up this mini-series on generosity, these last couple chapters in 2 Corinthians have been talking about generosity, I wanted to leave you with an indelible thing in your mind. Think about generosity. When you think of love bugs, think offering. I'm just joking. Don't do that. I'm just saying. But you think about, you know, so that's my, that's my relevant illustration for you Floridians today. How about that? You like that? Get that thing off there. It's freaking me out. That has nothing to do with the sermon today. It was just something that I wanted to do. So thank you for bearing with me. Um, today, this mini-series on generosity is winding up, uh, and it's going to wind up with an explanation of how a culture of surprising generosity is set in motion. Um, I've titled the message, Inevitable Generosity. So a couple of questions for you. How do you know if our generosity is surprising enough. I mean, what, at what point do we say, no, that's just regular generosity, but this is surprising generosity. At what point do we know whether or not our generosity becomes surprising or not? What are the identifiers? Is it a specific dollar amount? 
I don't know, is it? Is it a dollar amount? Is it uh, a percentage of your net worth? I mean, how do we even know if we want to be surprised? What if we don't want to be surprisingly generous? How do we avoid feeling guilty about generosity? I mean, what if it's a lot simpler than all of that? What if generosity, surprising generosity, is not something that requires so much analysis, thought, math, or guilt? So that's the idea that I want to try to answer those questions today. And the passage is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a big chunk. It's nine verses but, and we end up chapter 9 with this today, and, and next week you'll be happy to know we're talking about something else other than money. But this is the last week of that, so chapter 9, verse 6. This is the point, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way, that, every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Or unspeakable gift is another word. <clears throat> so I want to talk about the history of this passage, what Paul is doing as he winds up this two-chapter treatise on generosity. I'm going to talk about the historical aspect of this, how Paul defines cheerful giving. See, Paul inspires Corinth with what will be the results of the anticipated Corinthian generosity because he's witnessed it already. Remember the churches in the north, northern European churches like in Macedonia and those places, those poor, war-torn regions had been giving in ways that were unbelievable. And Paul has already seen the impact of their generosity on others. And so Paul begins to explain to Corinth, this is what's going to happen because of your surprising generosity. He describes the expected characteristics of what separates ordinary, everyday generosity from surprising generosity. And I keep using that phrase, surprising generosity, just in case you weren't aware of it. It's one of our core values when we talk about being Generous. We want to have surprising generosity in our church, and that's where I get it from. So the first characteristic is that surprising generosity is personal and voluntary, and it's in verses 6 through 10. And Paul explains that cheerful giving is not demanded. It's voluntary. 
It's a natural, spiritual, emotional outflow. It's not something where you get, like when you get your electric bill every month in the mail and you reluctantly write a check. And the only, let's face it, the only reason we pay our electric bill is why? Air conditioning, yes. We don't want it to get cut off. Right? So we are motivated to pay our bill because of how it's going to impact us physically. And what Paul says here is, surprising generosity is personal. He says, everyone must decide in their own heart what and how they give. Paul wants Corinthian generosity to be their choice. As a matter of fact, in verse 5, he said, I want you to have the gift ready because I don't want it to be out of exaction. In other words, I don't want you to feel like that we are sending this financial team here to rip it out of your hands. Have it done ahead of time so we know that it's of your heart. It's not a bill or a tithe, like the Old Testament principle of giving 10%. That was compulsory. You had to do that. It was mandatory. It was set at 10%. And that's not what Paul, Paul is saying. Your generosity is not a tithe. That's done. We now live in the age of grace giving. So the first characteristic of generosity on a surprising level is that it's personal and voluntary and it's not demanded or guilted out of you. The second characteristic is Thankful hearts, verses 11 and 12. The evidence of cheerful, surprising generosity will move God's church to thank him. He says there'll be many thanksgivings. Yes, their physical needs are met in, in Jerusalem particularly. Paul says, once you have this surprising generosity that you have chosen to do on your own voluntarily, when this money is delivered to the church in Jerusalem, they are going to be blown away. They're going to have thankful hearts. They're going to thank God. Yes, because their physical needs are met, but they will also be inspired to thank God for his work in your lives. The result of the gospel in the lives of Gentile Christians brings Jewish Christians to a place of awe and worship. I can't believe these Gentiles in Corinth are worried about us. The gospel is amazing. That's where the thankful hearts come out of because it'll be very clear to those receiving earthly benefit from the generosity. It is very clear that it is born out of the work of the gospel in the hearts of the givers. Another definition of cheerful giving is there is an affirmation in verse 13. The fact, it's kind of tied to thankful hearts, but it's related to it. The fact that Gentile Christians across the Roman Empire are generous in supplying needs to Christians in Jerusalem is irrefutable evidence of grace and the power of the gospel. They aren't giving because some temple or organized religion demanded them to do so. It is an actual overflow of love and compassion for fellow brothers in Christ. It is stunning as God uses transformed Gentiles to rescue Jewish Christians. And it is an affirmation of how amazingly unifying the gospel is. It's an affirmation of the gospel's power. And then the last definition he gives is affection. In verse 14, he talks about it. He says, Gentile Christians basically put aside ethnic, political, 
social economic differences to identify with, provide for, and support people they have never even met that are part of a group that really kind of has disdain for them. The only thing in common was the impact of the gospel had on their lives. And the Gentile generosity proves God has saved them, God has transformed them, God has knitted them together with these Jewish Christians in common bond. Can you imagine how these Jewish Christians must have felt about the love that was shown them? You think they could just, oh, look at this great gift from Corinth. Oh, we can take it or leave them. No big deal. I mean, they must have developed tremendous affection for these sacrificial believers they had never met. And Paul knew this because he had seen it play out in Macedonia and other regions where he had had gifts that were taken from there and supplied to the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem is saying, our brothers and sisters in these poor areas in northern Europe are doing this for us? That's crazy. And so there is affection that grows between the people who are surprisingly generous and the people who are surprised by their generosity. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if somebody gives you a surprisingly generous gift, aren't you surprised by that? To the point where you have an affection for what they've done and you recognize the sacrifice? So that's the description of what a cheerful giver is that Paul gives in this passage. I want to look at the theological aspect of this passage. How generosity emerges. And this is important. This is good for us to close out this mini-series on generosity on this concept. I got to tell you, I wish this were the case, but it's not. Generosity doesn't start with religion or a sermon. It also does not start with human resolve. I mean, paying a bill can just start with human resolve and discipline, but surprising generosity is very different. So here's how generosity emerges, how generosity on a surprising level takes place. The first thing that happens is there's grace for the poor. In verse 8, Paul makes reference to grace being given to the poor. He's not talking about people who are poor with money. He's not talking about people who don't have a job. He's talking about people who are poor in spirit. Paul teaches that the genesis of Corinthian generosity is grace and the gospel, not their wealth. The Macedonians didn't have wealth, yet they were surprisingly generous. Why? Because of grace and the gospel. I love this because the poor reference is to those who need grace, not those without money. Understanding surprising generosity is a result of receiving grace, which is undeserved favor. So generosity starts with grace for the poor. And we all, before grace, are poor in a spiritual sense. That moment that we understand our hopeless, sinful situation and receive the surprising generosity of grace is the first point at where surprising generosity in us can begin to emerge. The second theological aspect is that we become empowered to give. In verse 11, he says he'll give you everything you need to be generous in all these acts. Because our ability to be generous is born out of God's blessings. Paul teaches we are enriched to be generous 
not self-serving. And God's provision makes generosity possible when combined with grace and enlightenment. And this is what I love about it. Because before grace, we saw blessings as, man, these are cool blessings for me. After grace, we see blessings as an opportunity to be generous. Because we see it as God empowering us to give. That's what he says in the passage. He will give you everything you need to be generous. And then it leads to, after grace for the poor, empowerment to give, it leads to a harvest of righteousness in verses 9 and 10. The result of grace and provision is the expansion of the kingdom. And Paul teaches we are enriched, and once we are enriched, once we are a recipient of grace, you see blessings correctly as tools for God's harvest, not our own harvest. Our generosity is part of the harvest and the seeds of grace of the gospel in our lives, and it is a crucial component of God's harvest because if God saves people and God's people are never surprisingly generous, the kingdom will not grow. And just so you understand how this works, I'm going to bring up to many of you know this is my favorite couple of verses in the Bible. Paul talks about this concept of how grace is the, is the genesis of good works, including generosity. He says it in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace, there's grace for the poor, you have been saved through faith, which is a, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may brag, even about your giving, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You see that? He gives us everything we need to be generous. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I like to translate that, that we trip over. This is the concept of how generosity flows, how generosity emerges. It emerges out of grace in our lives. And we're given the things that we need to be generous, and it overflows into good works, which Paul describes in today's passage. So let's go to the devotional part of this. I want to talk about inevitable and irresistible generosity. Here's what we know, guys. Your surprising generosity is not the result of you having a good job or lots of talent or free time. Lots of people have good jobs, but that does not make them surprisingly generous. Lots of people have talent, but many times it's hard to get people to show up consistently. They're not generous. Lots of people have plenty of time, but they don't see any good reason to volunteer. See, Paul ends this two-chapter treatise on giving with the foundation of what our generosity is born out of. The indescribable gift. That's the last two words. In other words, it's a gift too amazing for words. See, many refer to this. You've you've seen this on a Christmas card. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And they talk about it for Christmas, referring directly to the birth of Jesus. That's not horrible, But it's like 2% of what he means. It's not complete. Here in this passage, Paul talks about the indescribable gift as the personal impact that salvation, faith, and grace have had on your, our personal value system. 
It's the indescribable gift of faith that has profound impact on our definition of generosity. Generosity, which now, after grace, is not born out of compulsion. It's not born out of having to pay a bill or requirement. It is born out of gratitude. From grace given to you while you were poor. See, he uses the illustration of poor to help you understand. Just like these Jewish Christians are poor and they're blessed by your generosity, it started with you being poor and needing grace spiritually. And you are made a child of God, given all riches in heavenly places, and the grace has caused you to be graciously full of gratitude for giving. That's why this week's Sunday Sermon Preview was this. Grace makes surprising generosity inevitable. Do you understand what that means? I mean, Paul's treatise on the indescribable gift in Romans 11 is followed by an appeal. I want you to see this verse. Here's what Paul says in verses 8, or in chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11, Paul talks about grace. He talks about sovereign grace, saving those who need saving and transforming them and changing them. And he talks about all the evidence of God's power and salvation, about how God never fails and God's grace always works. And, and it's amazingly overflowing of his riches, riches and goodness. And he just describes this thing for several chapters. And he ends it up in verse chapter 12, verse 1. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore. What's the therefore? About 4,000 words before it. Because of all that stuff that I just laid out for you in undeniable fashion, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your rational service. Rational service. Some passages say, which is, you know, your reasonable service. I like to put it in the King Joe version. It's the least you can do. That's what he really means. Because of all that amazing grace, I'm telling you, the only rational conclusion is that you present your bodies, in other words, your whole life, as a living sacrifice. You know what that is? Surprising generosity. You see, joyful generosity, cheerful giving, is the result of supernatural intervention and inspiration. It's an expressive Immediate, emotive action of gratitude and thanksgiving, it is, frankly, the least you can do. It's the only, as a matter of fact, here's what I'm going to present to you. It is the only rational, logical, fulfilling response to receiving Christ's unspeakable gift of grace and faith and salvation. All other habits will leave you empty unsatisfied, and searching for what is missing in your walk with Christ. I am not saying you have to give to be a Christian. I'm not even saying what you're giving is, is money. I'm not telling you that you have to give a certain amount. I'm not going anywhere near that. What I'm saying is this. When God has transformed you, it is the only logical, rational conclusion that you present your life a living sacrifice. And anything else is just surface stuff playing around the edges and will leave you wondering, why don't I feel saved? (laughs) Because here's what I'm sharing with you. Surprising generosity is a natural instinct. 
Just like animals have natural instincts, they don't even have to think about it. They just do what it is they're born to do. God's children are born to be surprisingly generous. It's a natural instinct in a child of God who receives the indescribable gift of grace to the poor. So I came up, you guys know how I like to do this. I like to come up with new theological terms and give them a definition. Here it is. Irresistible generosity. The instinctive, inevitable response of God's people in reaction to receiving the indescribable gift of faith. The instinctive, inevitable response of God's people in reaction to receiving the indescribable gift of faith. See, we may not even realize it, but when God gives us the gift of faith, our response to his indescribable gift is an unavoidable natural instinct of surprising generosity. That's why Paul had such confidence in the Corinthians. He knew God had saved them. That's why we as a church can have confidence that God will provide what we need to fulfill our vision of surprising generosity. As a matter of fact, Paul says he's going to give you everything you need to do what you need to do to be generous. So as I close up this morning, I just want to make sure that you understand As we finish up these two chapters that had all had to deal with generosity, you guys know that money is my favorite topic to preach on. It's not, in case you think I'm just, you know. I've been nervous about every sermon, frankly. Like, will this come across in a way that offends people? Will I say it the right way? I've been really relying on Daryl quite a bit the last few weeks. Daryl, does this sound bad? Is this right? And and Daryl's been a big help in helping me make sure that I'm staying true to the text and I'm not watering it down because I'm fearful of what you might think. At the same time, I don't want to be manipulative. And I want to summarize with just a couple of things. I would never assume what surprising generosity looks like for any one of you. Except that it's a natural instinct. Because when God has saved you, it's the only rational, logical conclusion we can have as Christians. I don't think you can have a relationship with Christ and be stingy. Because I believe God does a really good job of saving us every time. And as Paul said, he will give you all that you need for these acts of service. That's all I had to say about money for the next 10 years. Father, I just want to thank you so much for your unspeakable, indescribable, inexpressible gift of grace through faith. Thank you. You gave grace to the poor when we were struggling. We thank you so much that it transforms us. And we pray that you will help us to continue to see our generosity as our only rational conclusion to what you've done for us in our lives. Help us as a church to fulfill our vision of being surprisingly generous. And we commit to you our lives as a living sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.